If I was a really good preacher, today I'd have some really good hellfire and brimstone sermon for you. Because we're in Matthew 25, and that's what Matthew 25 is all about. The big end, when the Son of Man comes. Um, no, Matthew 25 is a lot more than that, and it should always be a lot more than that. So Jesus, this is his last week of his life. This is it. And he has a couple, there's a couple things in here where he's teaching and, um, and he's been really the, the end of Matthew 24 really is part of Matthew 25 because he's talking about the end of the age and be prepared. And if you knew when somebody was going to rob your house, then you would stand guard at that time. Right. Um, if I, if I knew when the kid was going to throw the rock through my window and upgrade my van to a garbage bag window van, then I would have gone out there and stood by my van, right? But Jesus is reiterating that the Son of Man is going to come when nobody knows it. The end of the world is going to come in a moment no one suspects. And he's giving a couple examples of what that's like and what that means. And, and here's what that looks like. And that's what Matthew 25, he starts. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. All right, so we, we already got to start on verse one here. Um, so virgins, it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with their marital status, right? Or any of that. This is just girls, young girls. Because you know how we have bridesmaids? So when in Jesus's day, when you had a Jewish wedding, you would get all your girl cousins and all your girl sisters and all the all the girls you knew, and they would all hang out with the bride all day long. And anything she needed, they would help with. And they would all give commentary on this smells good. You should wear this or wear this dress. I mean, they were just, it was just like a party. So the way the, the, the wedding would work is the groom would be in his grooms in his house. All right, so Cindy and I had our, I'm gonna use all this with me and Cindy because we just had our anniversary, right? So the way it would work, if we were in Jesus's day getting married, I would be working on my house and I'd be preparing it. And I would ask my dad, is my house ready? And he'd be like, no, not yet. You got a, you got a shutter that's like lopsided. And Cindy is not going to go for a lopsided shutter. Oh, okay, so I get my ladder, fix the shutter. Is the house ready yet? No, no, you got some blinds that are doing some funky business. You got to fix your blinds, man. And I would keep asking my dad, is my house ready? I don't know when the house will be ready, but my dad knows because my dad is experienced. He's been married a long time, but my dad is also knowing if the feast is ready and if all the guests are ready. And if all, I mean, my dad's organizing all this other stuff. So when Jesus says the angels don't know, even the son doesn't know when the son of man will come, he's making it sound just like a wedding. So that's getting everybody in everybody's head. Oh, it is like a wedding. So then at some point, some evening, my dad would say, yes, son, your house is ready. 
I'd be like, yeah! All right, here we go. I call up all my bros that are probably over anyway, helping me fix up my house. And we would all start going and we would have torches and we would have tambourines and we would be making this ruckus and we would be parading through the town while all of Cindy's girlfriends that had been hanging out all day, when it got late, they would go out with their lamps and their torches and they would watch to see if Dan is coming. And eventually they'd come back and they'd be like, sorry, Cindy, no sign of Dan today. But there's one night, that's what he's talking about here, where they get their oil and some of them are like, eh, he's not coming. It's too late. We've been coming out every night watching for Dan Sullivan to come and he hasn't come. I don't need to take any extra oil. He's not going to come tonight. He didn't come last night. I'm just wasting my oil. But then there's other girls that are like, this might be the night. And we need to wait. We need to make sure we have enough oil so that when he comes, we can run back and tell Cindy to get ready. So then what would happen would be I would be coming through town. And as I saw people I knew, my buddies might hand them torches. Come on, come on, hand them lamps. And so by the time we get, it would really be Cindy's dad's house, right? That's where she, by the time we get there, there's this whole little parade of lamps and torches. And I'm there to call her out. And she knew I was coming because her girls were out with their lamps watching. And when they saw me come, they ran back. They told her. They all got her ready. She put on that perfume that she's saving for just that night. And then we all go and it's a party. That's what, that's the cultural setting of this. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, right? He's not coming. This is another night. We do this every night. We're waiting for him. They all became drowsy. They fell asleep at midnight because I'm a night owl. The cry went out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. They all rose, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, run to Walmart and get yourself some more oil. And everybody knows midnight at Walmart, there's only one checker open. When they go, the bridegroom comes. Those who were ready went out with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. So here's the other thing that happens. Is when the groom gets to the house with his party, the people come out and join his party. And they go back to the groom's house. At that point, they are not welcoming in other people. They're only welcome. The, once, once it gets to the girl's house, whoever comes out of the girl's house is coming with them and no one else is welcome. And you can only invite so many people to your wedding, right? But it's kind of that kind of thing. Even to the point that people that joined at that point might be punched. They might not be treated. They're like, hey, why didn't you join us earlier? Or we don't know who you are. We can't, you know, they're trying to 
party crashed or something. Then, once they get to the house, they close and lock the door. And the party has begun. And if you're late, you cannot come. There's no late arrivals once the door is shut. So the ladies that ran to Walmart to get oil, by the time they make it back, they can't even, they can't even come in. And they might be cousins, and they might be family, but no, the feast has already started. Afterward, the other virgins came also. They said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. And he answered, truly I say to you, I don't even know you. Watch therefore, so you know neither the day nor the hour. So the whole point of this parable is get ready. Always be ready. We don't know how long. This could have been night after night after night of waiting for the groom and the groom never comes. We've been talking a lot about perseverance and the whole mask thing and the coronavirus. And, and uh, Isaac, he's like, so what are we doing? I'm like, it's just a perseverance game, dude. It's just patience and a long time and waiting. I was talking to a guy. It's probably, well, I was talking to a guy this week and he's been a Christian for a really long time. And it's kind of just wearing off on him. And he's kind of tired of being a Christian. And it was like, whoa, this is why um, it's not about, you know, all the religious things that we do. It's not about how often you go to church or how many small groups you're in. It's just about focusing your life on Jesus because then it's always growing and changing versus just being in a club, a religious club. You know, I talked to Keith Hefley. Keith Hefley's in his mid 80s and and he's talking about how he's going to evangelize the nursing home that he's, he was in. He is still active because he is focusing on Jesus. He's not focusing on, um, you know, he's wildly extroverted, but he's on lockdown in a nursing home. So what do you do? Well, you find other ways. You, you focus on the Lord, not all the other stuff. And watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The number one thing is knowing that Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come back. It may be in our lifetime. It might be today before I get done. It might be the real bummer would be if it happened right after you died, right? You're like, I did all of this. No. Uh, he's going to come back. And just keeping that hope and that knowledge and that seriousness. The other part of it is, it might not be the end of the world today for you. But it'll be the end of the world today for somebody. There's a lot of people that today's their last day on earth. And they don't know it and we don't know it. And so all of a sudden, watch, therefore, that's why we're constantly vigilant. We're constantly trying to, the guy says he's a Christian. I don't care. Till, still telling him about the good news of Jesus. If he is a Christian, the good news of Jesus will just encourage him more. Right? That's why we can always re-evangelize one another. We don't know the day or the hour. So then Jesus gives another parable. And he gives this example, Matthew 25, 14. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, the last two parables 
or about the surprise of it, right? If you knew when the thief was coming, you would guard your house. If you knew when the groom was coming, you would have had enough oil. This is different. This is a parable of a man who is leaving and he's going away and his slaves or his servants, he's giving them control of everything and he divides it up. We, in this parable, it's called the parable of the talents. The talent was kind of like a bucket, um, that word. So you could have a talent of gold or you could have a talent of silver or you could have a talent of manure, okay? So to try to figure out, you might have a footnote that'll say about $1,000. That, you can't really figure that out. Does that make sense? Um, so whatever it was he gave, but it says right there in verse one, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, his own stuff, it's his own possessions. And he gives it to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. So the landowner knows, he knows these three servants. He knows which one he, what, what is, is this the five? Yeah, this is the five, two, and the one. He knows which one can handle five. He knows which one can handle two. He knows which one can handle one. He's not overwhelming anybody. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Did you notice he went at once? Like, we don't know how long the guy's going to be gone. We don't know. You know, Jesus doesn't dwell on what exactly they gave. But this guy did not waste any time. As soon as the boss was gone, he's got the stuff. Okay, I'm going to get to work with it. And he does the work. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Isn't this wild? So they went right away. The, the guy with the five and the guy with the two, they didn't, they didn't procrastinate. They didn't uh, just say, hey, he gave us, you know, he gave us some good stuff. I'm going to live off this and take it easy. They, they got to it and they did stuff. And all of a sudden it doubled for both of them. So the, after a long, and they didn't spend it then. They didn't lose it once they made it. After a long time, the master comes. He who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two. Here I've made two more. Master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. So these first two guys, they took what the master gave them and they acted on it and they did something. 
And I love how vague it is. I love how vague Jesus is on his parables because it's just so open to, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, if it said they were woodcutters and he cut all this wood, then I'd want to go be a woodcutter, right? But it's, it's vague like this because it applies to every one of us. We've all been given. Some of us have been given one. Some of us have been given two. Some of us have been given five. And we don't even know what it is. But we know we've been given it from God. And so we immediately go after it and try to do something with it. Whatever we've been given. And it might be really small. And it might not be really beautiful to show off. I think I told this story one time. So I was in Burma for two weeks at an orphanage and they arranged what everybody's job was going to be. And all these people on the team were going to be uh, cooking. They were going to be cooking potato. They were going to cook an American meal of hot dogs, French fries, and Coca-Cola for all these orphan kids. Terrible. But they love it. And Dan, you're going to be the VBS teacher. 72 orphans. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm on babysitting duty. These guys get to do the cool cooking thing, and I'm on babysitting duty. And I was mad. I mean, this is my one shot at Burma, and I came to, like, serve people and help people, not babysit for vacation Bible school, whatever. That's what I thought. And I said can I do some real work instead of babysit? Cause this is kind of lame. Cause I can really do work. And this one guy, he is awesome. He said, Dan, you're the only one on the team with the gift of teaching. So shut up and do your teaching. Cause none of us can do what you do. He told me to shut up. No joke. The next day I'm teaching about Daniel I'm all super animated for these 72 orphan kids. They're all listening. The translator's animated. We have a little break, and I look over in the kitchen. The Burmese orphanage kitchen, you guys. This is not good housekeeping. It is hot. There's this giant open fire. They have all these hot dogs. I see that guy that told me to shut up. Just sweat dripping down his face. They got deep fryers going with French fries on them, and I can hear them going, ah, ah. I did not complain anymore. <laughs> so I thought they were sidelining me, you know, giving me the dumb job. It's really easy to look at what you've been given and to think, oh, I'm a two talent. He's a five talent. Jesus gave him a lot. He better do a lot with those talents because he only gave me two. That is not the point of the parable, right? The point of the parable is you've been given something. Let's do something with it. Let's go. Yes. Matthew 25, 24. This is a scary part. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. 
Here you have what is yours. Oh, can you imagine like how quiet it was in that room at that moment? But look at what he just said to the master. You reap, you reap where you didn't sow. You, I know that you steal wheat. He's basically saying, I know you're a thief. I know that you, uh, you reap where you don't sow and you, and you gather, you gather where you scattered no seed. He's like accusing the master of evil. His master answered him, you wicked and lazy servant. You know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. It's so often, there's like, there's things that my wife and I make decisions and we do things and our kids see us make those decisions and they totally do not understand. And they are so upset with us. You know, we go to grandma's out on Hogue Road and on the way home from grandma's, we don't stop at Dairy Queen. Just got the whole deal at Grandma's house. We don't have to stop at Dairy Queen. Ah! You guys never take us to Dairy Queen. We just took you to stinking Grandma's house. This is that same kind of thing. A servant shouldn't analyze the master's plan and how he works and all that because the master's got infinitely more work going on than the servant knows about. Sometimes it's like that with God. Paul talks about this in Romans, right? You're, you're the vase. You're a clay pot in the hands of God. Does the clay pot have any right to question the potter and say, what are you doing? Why are you making me like this? What's your problem? And the potter's like, I'm a human and you're a pot. That's how much greater and huge God's plan is and what God knows than what we possibly know he loves us he loves it even when we talk to him in humility like that we can ask him any question but out of pride and out of this sort of lazy rebellion it's just not going to fly so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 so the guy that had five that doubled it and now had 10 now has 11 because this guy didn't do anything Everyone who has will be more, there will be more given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's this guy that just, he wanted to serve his master so much that he immediately went to work and began serving and helping and doing. And he brought back all of this good. And even what he had, it just makes more and more and more. There was one that had no interest in serving his master. No desire to serve him at all. And what he had, even what he had would be taken away from him and nothing would be added to him. Doesn't this com isn't this compelling? Like, doesn't it make you just want to go out and be like, Lord, what can I do? How can I serve you? Not out of fear, 
Not out of fear that what I have is going to be taken away from me and I'm going to be thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not afraid of that. Because I don't think that's going to happen to me. Because I know I'm following Jesus. And I'm, I'm putting his desires above my own as much as I can. I'm not perfect, right? But this is all about what, what's the inclination? What's the... the... So... Isaac gets this new Cadillac. We get new. It's 2006. New to us. We get new tires on it, and they all got uh, balanced and aligned and everything. And Isaac gets in it, and he drives it, and he takes his hands off the wheel, and he says, this goes in a straight line. So it's not like my van, is it? He's like, no. Is this like self-driving? I'm like, no, it's just Right. And the van's wrong. <laughs> With Jesus, if the inclination of your heart as you seek him, he makes it right as his life is in you. If you don't want that, it is going to be like my van, where you're kind of doing this all the time. And you're going straight, but you're really not going straight. You're not going straight at all. But you look straight, and it looks like you're driving right. But it's like, remember when Jesus was yelling at the Pharisees? On the outside, they were whitewashed tombs. On the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. So we seek after Jesus just naturally. As his life erupts in us, we want to do his will. We want to do these things. We want to take the property that he gives us, and we want to do more with it. All right, last parable. Matthew 25. So whenever you hear Matthew 25, just a Bible trick, Bible trivia trick, you know 25 is going to be the sheep and the goats. And if you know what other parables go around the sheep and the goats, then you've got all of Matthew 25 memorized, just like that, right? Well, the sheep and the goats is where Jesus is talking about the end of time. So at the end of time, it's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come like an unexpected late groom. And when he comes, it's going to be like a landowner that divided up his land and then came back and paid everybody back for whatever they did. And then it's going to be like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So if you were a shepherd and you would graze, you'd go out and graze your sheep and your goats all day and that's fine and they get along and they can all be together. When you bring them back in at night, the sheep can be out in the cold. They're okay. They've got insulation. They all have, they come with a wool coat built in. They're all fine. But the goats will freeze. They will be too cold and they'll get sick. So every night when you bring back your sheep and your goats all together, you got to separate them. And you send your goats all into this covered, closed-in area so they'll stay warm together. And you put all your sheep over here where they're cool. They're all right. So separating sheep and goats was a known common thing. Before him will be gathered all the nations. This is everybody. This isn't just Israel. This isn't just God's chosen people. This is the whole world. 
He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And the king will say, come, you who are blessed by my father, says this to the sheep on his right. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, from the beginning. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Wow. Busy, busy people, right? But they don't think they were busy. They're a little confused. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, that just makes the most perfect thing about it, right? If they were doing it because they wanted to receive, you know, this last parable you just heard, you've been given something, so do something with it. So you get more. If they would have done all that stuff so Jesus would love them, then they'd be doing it for the wrong reasons. But they did it and they didn't even know they were doing that to Jesus. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. When you did it to the least, most insignificant person, one day we're going to knock on our door as this little kid and they ask for a drink of water. You're 25. It's happening. We've got the poor at our door. They're thirsty. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. We have to give this kid a drink of water. We gave the kid a drink of water, and it was kind of funny after they left. We were like, you know, sometimes it's just a kid that wants a drink of water. That's okay, too. You can still give it to him. Don't get too crazy. Well, then he says on the same thing, depart from me, you cursed. This is to the people on his left. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow. Some people read that one verse right there and they say that hell was not meant for people. That it, it's the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Nah, okay, that's fine. People can still go to hell. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have given this warning. Right, It's pretty serious. I was hungry. I was thirsty. You didn't do it. I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we get this parable that the end of the world is going to come. We're not going to expect it. We get a parable that the end of the world is going to come, but it's going to take a whole lot of perseverance to be patient and wait for it. We get a parable that at the end of the world, there's going to be rewards for people that did stuff and curses and punishment for people that didn't. So if you bring all this together like a big bowl of soup, we know this, right? In, in the church, we have people that are, you know, I believe I was saved. I can just sit back and relax. I don't have to I'm going to heaven. On the other extreme, we have people who are like, you have to do good deeds to make God like you. You know, I guess I didn't, I didn't give enough. 
And that's why this bad thing happened to me. I got stopped at this red light. It must be because I cursed at this dude that cut me off on the Lloyd. And you get all wrapped up in work, 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 work. And you put all these parables together and it's just not that clear. It's just not that easy. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God so no one can boast. So we do stuff. We don't do stuff so God will save us. We do stuff because he already has. And he's living in us and he wants to do these things. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was talking to Christians. We're all going to become, we're all going to come before Christ's judgment seat so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there's some sort of cosmic judgment that's going to happen. Now, is it Surprise, you're going to hell because you believe, but you never did anything about it. That doesn't fit with scripture. We don't have to be afraid of that. For years, from the stuff I was brought up in and the stuff I learned and the stuff I learned from Blacko, whatever, I thought if I could just do enough good deeds to get my fingernails into heaven, then I can spend all eternity pulling myself the rest of the way up. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The thief on the cross is saved. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those guys gave their lives. They laid it down. They were martyred. I mean, maybe not John, but the rest of them, they're in the kingdom too. All of this, he's going to come at any moment when we don't expect him. But that's exciting and it helps us to persevere and that helps us to be patient. But it also helps us to not get lazy. We want to get on it. We want to do stuff because, gosh, I want as many people to be sitting around that table in heaven as possible. Right. He's he's always again, like grandma, he always has another card table that he can pull out to show hospitalities to some more people. There's always more room in heaven. And so. Let's be those people. And then he gives us this really practical list. Visit people in prison. Give hungry people, you know, talking about Ozanam. Give hungry people food. Clothe people. Do stuff. And uh, in Galatians it says, against these things there is no law. Don't be afraid. If you're trying to do stuff to help people and you're trying to, I want Jesus, I want to serve you and I want to do this thing. Don't be afraid that he's going to be mad at you because you did it wrong. Because guess what? He'll show you and he'll teach you and then you can do it right the next time. Very good. All of this is in the last week of Jesus's life. So you think about what would you say if you only had a week to live? Jesus thought this was important enough to get in in that week and this is what this is what he taught all right let's pray lord thank you so much for saving us by grace through faith and not by our works and also thank you so much for empowering us to do good works for putting your life in us for putting your wisdom 
and your insight into us that we could do your deeds here on earth right now. I pray that you give us chances to do it, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Help us to not look at other people with their varying levels of talents, but to just look at you and be grateful and to do stuff in your glory and in your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen.